On August 16th, we began our study of 1 Timothy with the question, meal or menu? How we look at the scriptures, are they a smorgasbord for picking and choosing, or is it a manual for how to operate safely in this world? We've looked at the importance of prayer and of preparing for worship. This morning, we're going to return to chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. Why is this manual so important to each of us personally and to this expression of the body of Jesus Christ here in our local church? So this morning, the title of the message is, Have Three, Maintain Two. Have Three, Maintain Two. All teaching in the local church should directly or indirectly tell people that they need to have three and maintain two. Now, the Ephesian church was struggling. They were a good church, as most people would say. They were well-respected. And according to Revelation chapter 2, they worked hard. They kept themselves from those that were evil, but they left their first love. They looked good, but had quit maintaining their relationship with the Lord. Good relationships take maintenance. Marriages take maintenance. And families take maintenance. Churches take maintenance. And your relationship with the Lord takes maintenance. Our scripture today is going to remind us that everyone needs three and has to maintain two. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5. And then just to keep a context together, we're going to then go to verses 18 through 20. Although we will be looking at most of chapter 1 this morning. Paul writes, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than, giving, rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Let's go to verse 18. This charge I commit to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou, mightest by, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, I want you to notice with me in verse 5, there are three things that he mentions. He says, now the end of the commandment, the goal, the mission, the purpose of your teaching is charity, out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Notice in verse 5 we have three things. 
But what stood out to me in reading over the passage, look at verse 19. He doesn't tell Timothy to maintain three things. He tells Timothy to maintain two things. Why? Why does he give three? Why does he say these three are so important, but then in verse 19 he says maintain these two things. He says holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away these two things, faith and a good conscience, concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Paul says that because Hymenaeus and Alexander did not maintain these two things, they shipwrecked their lives and they shipwrecked their faith. Have three. Maintain two. Let's pray together. Our Father, this morning as we look at your word, I just ask that you would, through the Holy Spirit, do the work in each one's life here today that you've been doing in my life this week. I pray that you would teach us today and that we would go out taking what we have learned and having new tools in our toolbox that will help us in our walk with you. For some who have never received you as their Savior, I pray that today they would understand salvation in a new and fresh way and they would understand Paul's writing to Timothy as if it were to them. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I have here a manual that goes to my car. Although my car is 33 years old, the manual is still as up-to-date today for my car as it was when it was written because this manual was written specifically for my car. So it never goes out of date, no, long, no matter how long I have my car, no matter how old it gets. Page 66, it's titled, Useful Information About Disc Brakes. On page 51, it describes the oil that is needed. I found it interesting. The oil that I needed in South Carolina is not the same oil that it says I need in North Dakota. Page 22 describes warning lights, and page 68 tells how to maintain your tires. For such a thin little book, I find that I refer to this book often. And probably one of the pages I go to most often is the one on how to reset the clock. <laughs> Andrew knows that because in high school that was his job, to keep the clock accurate. Now, I have the car, but enjoying the car requires maintenance. I have three. I have to maintain two. Not cars, but I have three things concerning the car that I have to do. One, I have to own it. But two, I have to know what I need to do. But the third thing which is why I use this manual so often, is I have to make sure that what I know about my car is actually what I should know about my car. It's very easy to begin to think this is what's supposed to be done, only later to recognize and go, oh, that's not how it works at all. Have three, maintain 
2. Paul told Timothy in verse 3 to charge the chargers. Notice what he says here. He says, as I besought thee while we were still at Ephesus, when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, the word other there is really important. I have it underlined in my Bible because when I'm going through the scriptures, I want to find things that help me notice the key words. He said, I want you to charge the people who are charging the congregation. I want you to teach the teachers. I want you to instruct the instructors. You know what he's saying is he's saying, Here's something that's going to be really important. And Timothy, you're going to go into the church and it's not going to be comfortable because you're going to have to deal with some things that have to be done for the church to stay solid. Now, this was written in about 65. Revelation was written in about 90. You realize in the life of a church, it doesn't just, you don't just fix something and it goes on. You have to maintain a church. You have to maintain your own life if you want the relationship to stand solid. In verse five, we read, now the end of the commandment, the purpose of the instruction, the purpose of the teaching is charity. The word charity means love. We have to pause and ask, love of what, love for what, Love, what's it talking about? And I wrestled with that. In fact, I was showing Cindy in my, in my devotional journal as I was going through it. I have multiple entries for this one verse. I would write about this verse and then I would come back later and I would look at it and go, well, maybe it's this. In fact, in my journal, you'll read, maybe it's saying this, maybe it's saying that. What does this really, what's the focus of the word love here? Whom are we to be loving? How does this love take place? And literally, it's talking about a love for God and specifically a relationship with God because love is the basis for true relationships. We see what happened later in the church's life is they lost their first love. They lost the relationship that they once had. Now, they weren't, they didn't not, they, they didn't become unsaved. And in fact, as we look at these three things today, we're going to understand why he says you've got to have three, but you maintain two. And that's going to be important for us. You see, the key here is he says, teach the doctrine you have been taught, not other doctrines. It's very easy for churches to kind of get caught off on a side, for individuals to get really swept up in something that is really mentally intriguing. And we, oh yeah, boy, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And what happens is all of a sudden we start driving outside of what the doctrine we have been given, God's word. Back then it was the oral and written doctrine because we were still in the early stages of the church. Today we have the completed book. We have what God wants us to have. And what does he say? What are the instructions that are so important Love is the basis or the prerequisite for a right relationship with God. So what does he say these three are? He says everyone starts with a pure heart. 
Now, in this case, he says a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned, a sincere faith. So what are these three things, and why later would he say, Timothy, make sure you maintain these two? In fact, I believe verse 19 is the key to understanding verse 5 because of how he defines it for us. The first one is a pure heart. Everyone start, must start with a pure heart to have a right relationship with God. Now, a new heart, a regenerated heart, it doesn't mean a different heart. It means a redeemed heart, a restored heart, a factory reset, if we could say. It's fixed. It's repaired. This is received from God. Only God can give you a new heart, a clean heart, a pure heart. Heart, one that before God is pure. This is justification. You see, it's not that I am sinless, but because Jesus Christ took my place, because I am in him, when God sees me, he really sees Jesus Christ. And therefore, he sees me with a pure heart. It's not something you can do for yourself. Since it's a work of and from and through God, this is secure because it is his gift. What was the teaching he was saying has to be something that you've got to be describing to people so that they understand how they can have a right relationship with God, how they can love God accurately and it be a genuine relationship and it always begins with a pure heart. Paul is going to describe this for us as we get into it. He says, look, he says, verse 6, he says, from which some have swerved. They've turned aside from teaching these three important things that you've got to have a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. You've got to have a sincere faith. He says, some have turned aside and have turned into vain jangling, worthless speech, worthless teaching. So he says, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. What were they teaching? They desired to be teachers of the law. And what were they doing? They were getting into the law and talking about how the law had such a big impact on them. And therefore, because of the law, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. And notice what Paul says in verse 8. He says, but we know that the law is good if it's used in the right way, if it's used lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. A man who is right with God. But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, 
according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, basically, he goes through the Ten Commandments there. If you look at those, you begin realizing, oh, yeah, that's, that's like the first commandment. That's the second commandment. And he walks through basically all Ten Commandments, and he says, here's what the law is for. The law is to reveal that all men are sinners and are not right with God. You don't have a right relationship with God. The law tells you that. Now, if you try to make the law anything other than that, if you try to make the law something that you have to keep to be able to have a right relationship with God, he says, you've gone aside unto wrong teaching. It's other doctrine. What is the point? The point is the law tells us that we're not right with God. The law tells us that something is missing. The law tells us I am not pure in my heart before God. Now, what does that tell us? Paul then says, verse 12, he says, let me give you my personal testimony of how this impacted me. And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who hath enabled me. He says, it was God who did this work, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. Notice, it wasn't something he had in himself for this relationship with God, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, God enabling me, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy. Why? That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern of them who should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. And then he just bursts into praise. Now unto him... Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What is he saying? He says, look, you've got some men in the church who are beginning to talk about the deeper things and how you need to understand the law and you need to be doing the law and you need to be living under the law. And he says, wait, you've missed it. The law is not meant for the righteous person, for the person who is right before God. The law is designed to help me understand that I'm a sinner and I can't get there on my own. I've violated God's laws. And he says, and I am the best illustration of that. He says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I was hurting people. And he said, and my motives were right for that. I was doing everything I could. But the only way I could be right with God was God's mercy and God's grace. Now, remember, his whole point was, he says, you've got some men who are beginning to teach wrong doctrine. He said, so you need to teach the teachers. You need to teach these ones who are teaching in the church that what they're saying is wrong. He said, make sure you're teaching. Every person has to have these three things. You've got to have a pure heart. But as I mentioned in verse 19, he doesn't tell Timothy to maintain his pure heart. Therefore, pure heart is not talking about someone who just keeps their life free from sin. Otherwise, he would, he would have told him that's the reason why he shipwrecked. It should have been maintained. As it was, he says, no, I want you to maintain the second two 
You've got to have all three. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, no matter what works you do, it will never be good enough. But he says, now, here's what you need to really focus on. You need to have all three. Preach this. Make sure the teachers are teaching this. Make sure the instructors are instructing this. Without Jesus Christ, without God's mercy and grace in your life, you will never have a right relationship with God. But once you have that, here are two things you do need to maintain. Verse 18, this charge I commit to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Second thing he says we need to maintain is a good conscience. A good conscience is our responsibility. We're to maintain our conscience. A conscience should, be, should protect and guide us, but unlike a pure heart, a conscience can be out of adjustment. You can have a good conscience, you can have a damaged conscience. Brother Mark this morning was reminding us how important it is we get the opportunity to be teaching our children to help shape their conscience. You see, we can't make our children get saved, but we can be putting in right things into their minds so that they can make right choices. So you've got a good conscience. That is when we do what we know is right. You see, it's important we have a right relationship with God and to do that, to really have a right relationship with God, first of all, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. But second of all, we need to maintain a good conscience on a daily basis. That means we do what we know is right. We focus on what we know is right. But what happens when what we think is right isn't right? Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you, you make a statement, well, it's like this, and the person says, no, it's not, it's like this. Now, in your marriage, men, I would always encourage you, before you get into too many of those, it's this way, it's this way, it's this way, just stop. You can always do Siri if you need to, to have a referee in the middle of that. But I would encourage you, make sure your facts are right before you get into this battle of, no, I'm right, no, I'm right. You see, what he tells you is, he says, make sure that you're, you have a good conscience and make sure you have a sincere Faith. Make sure you have a genuine faith. Now, he's not talking about your salvation faith. That's the pure heart. He wasn't repeating himself because that would be circular reasoning. Every time then you've got a question about my conscience, now you need to get saved again, right? Boy, I just don't know if I'm saved. That's not what he's telling you. What he's telling you is make sure that your faith, the body of beliefs that you operate by, is the same as the body of beliefs God gave us. That's why in a church it's so important that we always are teaching, preaching salvation. But it's also important that we're teaching. You need to live what you know in the scriptures. We don't just come to get more information, but we come to live what we do know, and we come to make sure that what I am believing is in fact what the scripture says. And we always make sure that our beliefs line up to the Bible beliefs, that our faith lines up with the body of faith. It's very possible. I mean, you talk with people all the time as I do. And sometimes 
what they say, well, you know, I have a clear conscience. And you're thinking, how can you have a clear conscience about that, about murder, about whatever? Well, I have a clear conscience. What does that tell you? Their conscience has been damaged because what they think is no longer lining up with what the Bible says. A sincere faith is not a repetition of the aspect of salvation, but it's a genuine set of doctrine. It is believing the faith that was once delivered. Genuine doctrine is so important because it guides us, it guides our conscience, and it's through our conscience that we make decisions. You see, number two and number three require attention and maintenance. We make sure that our body of faith matches the body of faith. Do we believe what God says we should believe, and are we doing it? Well, what happened as we look at this, there were two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who were leaders in the church, and they began moving away from what the scriptures, what the teaching, what the body of faith was that they had been given, and they began moving away into very interesting things, things that seemed plausible, but as Paul called it in verse um, 6, he said, some have swerved away from the teaching. They've gone to other doctrine, and they've now turned aside into vain jangling, empty speech. It's only what God's word says that makes the difference for us. So what is God telling us this morning? What God is telling us is it's so important. You need these three things, but you have to be maintaining these two things. In your marriage, you don't need another partner, but you do have to maintain the one you have. You have three. You gotta maintain two to have a really good relationship. You get married, then what happens? You need to do right in that marriage. And you always need to go back and make sure that what you're doing in that marriage isn't just what you've seen other people do, but is the way God said your marriage should operate. If God has blessed you with children, you have three. You got the child. You don't need to get another child to make it work. What do you have to do? What you need to do is make sure you're doing the right thing with your kids and make sure that what you're doing with your kids is what Scripture says. Because in your mind, you may be saying, well, I'm doing what I've, always, what I've, what I've seen, what I know. And then you realize, oh, that's not what the Bible says. In your relationship with the Lord, it's the same way. You see, each time, I know when, I, when we first got married, when I came into the marriage, and we had tried, we had worked hard, we had done some reading on books, we had, we had memorized 1 Corinthians 13 together, we had done several different things to try to give our, our marriage a helpful start. But the reality was, there were a lot of things I didn't know. Who vacuums? Chapter and verse on that one? Do you know, that, that wasn't even a question in my mind. My mom always vacuumed. Do you know Cindy's dad vacuumed? Thanks, dad. You see, I brought into the marriage, she brought into the marriage, just things, so which is right. Well, you got to get on the same page. I didn't need a new wife, and... My conscience was clear. The problem was I didn't have the right facts in that conscience. 
See, I'm leaving you hanging. You're wondering who, who does the vacuuming, aren't you? You're on. You guys are going, say it, say it, say it, say it. You ladies are going, say it, say it, say it. You see, as we go on and we begin looking, what is Scripture telling us? It's very easy for us, once we're saved, to be operating a certain way, but we don't compare what our conscience is telling us to what the Scripture says. And it's so important. Every time we come into the church building together as we as a church body meet together, it's so important that we recognize, I'm coming today and I'm asking the Lord, Lord, anything that's not square in my doctrine, show me today from your word. Because I think many of us, we come in and our conscience, I, I'm, I'm believing this about you, I mean, probably we fail in some ways, but I think often we come in and I think your motives are right. Your motives are, I want to do the right thing. I'm not convinced one way or another with Hymenaeus and with Alexander what their motivations were. We can say, well, they were trying to get something. I don't know what they were trying to get. I just know this, that facts are going to still be facts no matter what your motivations were. If you say, well, I meant, I, here was my, I meant to do it this way because of this. Well, that's good. I'm glad your motives are right, but your actions are still wrong. And wrong actions always have bad consequences. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. That's a focus. That's an attention. That is, I'm going to do what God's word says. I'm going to bring my conscience in line. I'm going to bring every thought into captivity so that my love for the Lord, my relationship with the Lord is right. Then he makes this interesting statement. He says in verse 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, people that have made them live shipwreck, and they've made their faith shipwreck. They didn't wreck God's word. God's word doesn't change. But their body of the faith that they were operating by had become shipwreck. Why? Because they had pulled up anchor, and they were now drifting into the rocks. How had they shipwrecked? Because they had left what the faith was, what had been the scriptures that had been delivered to them. Remember how Paul was so clear? Even in 1 Corinthians, he says, I delivered unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. We anchor what we do to the scriptures. Hymenaeus and Alexander got sidetracked for whatever reason. And so Timothy's job was to come in and instruct the instructors to teach the teachers and to teach everyone to make sure that we stay focused. Each individual has this responsibility. We each need three. We have to maintain two. You have to maintain your conscience and make sure that your conscience is in line. You see, you can adjust your conscience. God's given us the conscience, and God's given us the, the basic foundation that goes into your library of con conscience, but we are constantly adding to that. As parents, we are teaching our children what should go in that library of conscience, 
but as children, they are learning that it comes from the scriptures. Your conscience is guided by the scriptures. He said, I've delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. We find Paul did the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That didn't remove a person's salvation. But literally, the thing that they were going after is the thing he said, fine. I give them over to that. Because as a believer, what happens when we go into the world and we begin living like the world, we lose all of our joy. There's no joy in doing the things of the world. We do it. Probably all of us could say, yeah, I've done that. Gone into the world. I've lived like the world. I made decisions like the world. And it brought me no joy. What was the goal of turning, delivering Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan so that they would come to the realization again of right doctrine, of right faith? It, it wasn't their their salvation faith, it was their operating faith, how they did things. You know, Scripture tells us, in the same way that you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, you receive him by faith, you receive what he says, what the Scriptures say by faith, he says, in the same way that you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. We walk by faith. But what is faith? It's not just this, well, I just, I have no idea, it's just a blind faith. No, it's a very credible faith, it's a visual faith, it is a... Scripture-driven faith. And here's the challenge this morning for each of us. The challenge that I've had to, to deal with as I've gone through this text this week. And as we look at this book that was designed to answer questions for how a church should operate, what a church should look like, what should be a part of the church, the way we should worship. He says, make sure that your belief system lines up with the Scripture. If you've never received Christ Jesus the Lord, you can never have a right relationship with him. You see, you can't have a pure heart. People will teach you, they're gonna say, well, if you just do this, if you, if you give a lot of money to the church, always beware when that's kind of the first thing that they tell you is if you give a lot, you can be right with God. No, that's not it at all. Well, if you, if you follow the 10 commandments, you can get to heaven. No, you can't. The Ten Commandments just reveal to me that I'm not what I ought to be. That's what Paul said. You need a pure heart. You see, Jesus Christ died for you. That ought to be something that we talk about often. That's not the only thing that we ought to talk about because it's more than just salvation, isn't it? It is now having a right conscience before God, doing what you know. Can I ask you this question? Is there something right now that you know is not right that you're doing? And I don't know why your motivations. I'm going to believe your motivations are good, okay? That you mean to do it because you think it's good for some reason. And you can believe that about me and we'll just like each other really well, okay? But it doesn't fix the problem, does it? Because blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord is there something this morning that you would say I need to change I've got something maybe it's a language issue 
Maybe it's a habit issue. Maybe it's a thought issue. Maybe it's, and you can fill in whatever blank. I've tried to be as generic as I can, but the reality is I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to you and the Holy Spirit says, you know, that's not right. Is there something today that you know shouldn't be in your life? Would you keep a good conscience? Would you today confess that? Turn back, get right on the right path so that you can be in the path of blessing. But then the second thing is usually more challenging and that is always being willing to adjust our thinking based on what the scriptures say. Make sure that your body of faith lines up with the body of faith because here's what happens, you shipwreck. You see it maybe getting closer to the rocks and you don't know how to get it back. The solid anchor is God's word. For marriages, for children, for work, for church. Have three. Everyone's got to have three. Maintain two.